Hello. Como estás? Episode 22. Invite the uh, campesinos. Um, Tom Phillips, White Flash, Detroit, Michigan. Check out White Flash's album, uh, Younger Days and Simpler Times on Spotify and Bandcamp. It's really legit. I really, really like it a lot. Um, really well done. Um, Tom and I had a nice conversation. Smart dude. Good conversation. Good hang. Uh, really enjoyed this one. Long time coming for this episode. Uh, as far as shows, um, you know, to look at Church Street Booking or just send personal emails to Mike Higgins. Um, send, send, figure out his address, send mail to his house. Um, he was, I was talking to Mike yesterday. He was like, just have everybody uh, write me mail asking when the shows are. Send me packages of donuts. So uh, you're welcome, Mike. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, again, go check out um, Out of This World Booking, Church Street Booking. And I'm playing in Ferndale at New Way Bar, part of uh, Scheme 13, the show they're doing on the 30th with Hexing, uh, Ship and Sail, a few other bands I can't remember. Um, I don't have the poster in front of me, but check that out. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be podcasting from that. Um, so, yeah, episode 22. Who the fuck thought we'd get this far? Holy shit. Cue, like, Jay-Z or some shit. But anyways, uh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Because, like, no one ever, really ever listens to me. Except for you guys. Yeah, because we're going to be talking anyway. Might as yeah. well just start. Don't be afraid to eat the mic, by the way. Is there uh, headphones anywhere? Or? Oh, no, no. I only, only have the one set of headphones, and I use it just to make sure your levels are good. Sweet. But, uh, dude, I don't like talking. I don't even like talking with the headphones on. It's really weird. To hear yourself yeah. like that. Even when I get the delay off. Aw, like kitty. The uh, lag or whatever. Wait a minute. Technical difficulties. Is it plugged in? <laughs> oh, never mind. It was just the headphones. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm just dumb. Uh, Tom Phillips from White Flash. And was it? It's Phillips, right? Yeah. Fuck. I was gonna say if I have your name and my phone wrong, I'm gonna feel really <laughs> smart. It's Tom Stevenson uh, of Green Flash. <laughs> my name's not even Tom. <laughs> I don't even play music. Are we recording? Uh, yeah. Oh wow. We're recording. See, that's what I do. That was a quick transition. Yeah, I like. That's the way I do it, man. That's like, the, that's the best way to do it. Like I get. Uh. I just get them comfortable. I, I talk because I don't. I talked about this on the last episode with uh, Anti Ghost. For those of you who actually listen to it, I feel like I love talking to the listeners too because it's like so weird. <laughs> like when I first started this podcast, like I didn't. I was too self conscious to be like, oh, for those of you listening, because I didn't think anyone would actually be listening. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, no one's actually going to listen to this shit. But now it's like people do, you know, in a, right. in a even in a small way. So I'll just it's it's fun to be like. The, all you out there in listener land when I'm literally just sitting in my bedroom petting a cat. It's kind of like Dora the Explorer. It's like, what do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Doing callbacks to yeah. people who aren't there. <laughs> we'll just add the, the sound of an audience in post-production. But uh, yeah, what I was saying is like, it's, uh, I, I feel like, and this isn't from experience. This is just like my, um, my thought on it. And it's, it's that like if you if I were to bring you in here or a band in here, um, especially like a full band, and be like, okay, we're starting now. I feel like that 
there's like a psychological thing that happens. Then you're turning on like, okay, I need to be band yeah. person. I can't yeah. just like be myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that would apply to so many different things. Whereas like, I, I like to, all I got to do, I have it set up. So all I got to do is hit the space bar in this mm-hmm. keyboard that doesn't even look like it might, it might not be even hooked up to anything. <laughs> um, and then no one knows I started and I just start casually talking and like get them into the groove of a, a, a normal conversation Mm-hmm. And then they ask, generally they're like, oh, wait, are we recording? And I'll be like, yeah, this is what it is. Like, this is what we do. <laughs> yeah, because I've done podcasts before where it's like everyone's like in the room 15 minutes earlier, you're getting levels, and it's like, okay, we're starting right at this time and like be ready. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily like that approach. I mean, I'm sure it works. I'm sure for other podcasts, like, you know, it, it might be a thing. I know sometimes people like to do like a pre-interview. To like okay we're gonna go over this and mm-hmm. they want to make sure it's polished and i might do that if i had a boss and like i had someone telling me like okay you have exactly these many minutes and we need you to touch on all these things make sure you get to all that then right. i would plan it out more but like the beauty of it is i do whatever the hell i want mm-hmm. it's not like a late night interview where it's like seven minutes that's to be cut for like live television yeah it's kind of yeah. freeform whatever you're feeling yeah and it's like if if I run out of space, like on the hosting site, uh, if like an episode's like if a lot of episodes are going too long, I can just like pay ten dollars and have more hosting space. Right. So it's, it doesn't matter. I, I I usually let them go as long as they want, and like the longest I've gone is probably like an hour and forty five minutes, mm-hmm. maybe two hours for one. But like that's usually, just if you go more than goes. two hours, shit just gets real weird and like. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear where that conversation's going after two hours. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I commend anybody who makes it through the long episodes <laughs> of this podcast. Cause like, I've had moments on the podcast where I literally will just be like, why do you listen to this podcast? Like, <laughs> where I feel like I haven't checked myself at all in like at least a half an hour. And like the, the conversation, it's a lot of fun to have at the time. But I'm in my head, I'm like, if you're not in this conversation, what, would make you want to listen to it <laughs> but i i mean do you listen to a decent amount of podcasts i went through a big podcast phase last summer okay what um, kind of stuff like were you listening to i was getting into dax shepherd's armchair, armchair expert. expert that one's yeah. pretty awesome i went through i binged like serial and s-town okay i'm kind of forgetting what else i was listening to i was uh what got me into it was like just po- comedy podcasts like i'm Mm-hmm. I really like comedy and like comedians I discovered had a lot of podcasts. Yeah, there's one I heard a couple of episodes. It was like comedians talking about their like life before they were famous comedians, like their first job or something. Oh, really? That was kind of funny. It was like, I, I can't remember which comedian. It's like they're talking about being like a pizza delivery person. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I would have heard of that one because I listened to like, if, if a comedian has a podcast, I've at least tried to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I, and... I, I just thought it was awesome. Like for me, like I'm kind of like a lone wolf type person. So I love putting podcasts on and feeling being by myself and like hearing a lot of guys having a conversation and it's a funny one. And then feeling mm-hmm. like I'm a part of that somehow when like, that's not that I don't want to be like cliche, but like, that's the cure for loneliness or whatever. <laughs> but for me, it was just like, Oh, this is cool because I feel like I, I have like mindedness with a lot of these people. Right. And it's just like refreshing. I think that like, opposed to like a planned interview and things like that mm-hmm. you can swear you can do whatever you want it's a more uh 
I'm drawn to the more natural interaction mm-hmm. of it. And the podcast, kind of like YouTube channels, it's like they can get super niche. Oh, yeah. Where it could be a thing where it's like only five people in the world will care about this topic, but it exists and those people are like geeked about it. Yeah. Have you ever done any like radio interviews for like for a band that you were in? Um, I'm trying to, mostly podcast stuff. I, can't, I don't remember if I've done actual real radio interviews. We're here with Tom from White Flash. Tom, what do you tell us <laughs> about <laughs> that new album you got going on? Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's just... Uh, weird. Well, I have done online internet internet radio station reviews. Oh, really? Which feels pretty much just like a podcast because it's usually more low-key. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. So, eventually we'll talk about music too <laughs> at some point. I just... You I know. thought there was like a podcast about podcasts. It, wow. <laughs> I'm sure there is one, like a podcast about podcast, like how to make a podcast. Just a podcast. like a metacast. Yeah, yeah, it's just metacast, like you said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, like I probably could have used one when I was making this one because like it was a pain in the ass trying to figure out like how to actually get it online. But now that it's mm-hmm. up, it's super easy. But um, so where the hell is the rest of your band? Uh, they they all have busy lives. Oh, I thought you were gonna say I fired them. <laughs> they just weren't cutting it. So, how long like have you guys all been playing together? Um, so White Flash as it exists now, uh, a little over a year. Um, it's it's kind of it's a long whining story because we released the album almost a year ago, but the album was like it was like a four-year writing process on that okay so literally writing it for four years and then you recorded it like was it like we like there was no shows until the album release show so it was like pretty much all writing and producing for like okay. four years oh wow we're now i know this but you should t- you should say like where <laughs> you where you recorded it and who produced it and all that um yeah so when it came time to like want to record this album we kind of were just listening to a bunch of records we really loved and like specifically records that we thought sounded really good yeah. for ideas. And uh, me and my friend that I collaborated with on all the songs, we were both big As Tall as Lions fans. Mm, yes. Which Brian is also a fan of. <laughs> That's basically how we became friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh shit, you like them? <laughs> uh, so we just looked up his studio and sent an email and just inquired about rates and they were actually like surprisingly affordable uh, Voodoo Studios in Long Island. Uh, the producer Mike Watts kind of owns the place. Uh, we ended up working with him on the record, so that was a really cool experience. Just because he worked on a couple records, I really liked the Asphalt's Lion stuff, and then also some of the Deer Hunter records. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The Deer Hunter, really beautiful sounding records. He's got a great like organic sound to all of his records. Yeah, and but at the same time, like working in some really cool like production stuff like song intros and like putting weird effects like on the outro sort of things like that Mm -hmm. like things that you don't really see live but it's something that makes the record the record right like like a good good producer a good produced record like uses the studio itself as an instrument yeah that's a good way to put Mm -hmm. it and so like how long did you guys actually spend in the studio uh we were hoping at first, we could do it all in six days, and we realized that was never going to happen. Right, a full length so, album. Was yeah, like so we songs? ended up starting with nine nine days, and then that wasn't enough, so we booked another six, and then we ended up going back for three more for mixing. 
So a total oh, okay. of eighteen days in the studio. So you got to be there for the mixing process and like. Um. Make- so there was like a couple a couple rounds of like mixing remotely where we were kind of like emailing back and forth and then kind of when it got to the fine details it was easier to just be in the room be like tweak this and this and this instead of just emailing back and forth over a bunch of weeks just get it done right there right we were pretty particular about a lot of stuff we wanted yeah on the record i think that that could uh i've never been a producer but i i could imagine that being it could go either way. Like if a band is really particular, that could be a producer's dream or a producer's nightmare. Because like if the band is very particular and their ideas are good, they make sense. Then it kind of makes it easier for the producer. Cause I feel like, okay, this is what they want. I know how to make this happen. Whereas if you get a band right. like really particular, but they don't know shit and all their ideas are trash. Cause I know. think a producer, when they're working on a record, they want to kind of be in control of a lot of things. So when you have an artist that's very particular, there's a lot of friction and clashing. Yeah. And we definitely had a fair bit of that. So yeah. I would say overall, like working with Mike at Voodoo, he was a lot more hands-off than he probably would be on other records. Because I think mm. he recognized we had a very specific vision. But where he really came in was like just getting the sounds. He's like, we, we joked the whole time, he's like the Bob Ross uh, of yeah. recording. Where like, you plug in a guitar and he's like switching some knobs and putting in some pedals and you're like, Oh, this sounds weird. I don't know about this. And then he just like gets to this place and you're like, Oh my God, that's the best guitar tone I've ever heard. Uh, right. So that was the, the cool thing about working with him. It's just like knowing that we could explain kind of, this is what we're going for. And he just kind of nod and then bend over and like twist some knobs and it'd be exactly what we wanted. If not better. Wow. That's, that's one of the things that comes with working with a pro. Like, that. yeah, he's got this setup of, it's probably a dozen different guitar heads in his control room. That's awesome. And he can just bounce between them for different sounds. He's got like a whole swath of like amazing pedals. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Was there, um, did you use any of your own gear going into that or? Um, yeah, like I used my own bass, uh, Rickenbacker 4003. And honestly, for the most part, we used his guitars because he also has like this arsenal of like, 12 to 15 guitars that are all amazing and kind of have different functions so like we brought our guitars i think we use them on a couple sections here and there but usually any song he was like nope use this one uh, okay um same with his drum kit and then that was fun as an as Tulsa lions fan because i was geeking out because it was like we we're using the same snare drum from their subtitled album. oh that's that's really cool and yeah some of some of a lot of our guitar tracks were tracked in the same guitar um used on like the intro of uh ghost of york oh so that was almost like a spiritual moment <laughs> yeah yeah that's like i remember i was listening to uh i'm a big uh shameless john mayer fan mm-hmm. and like uh i was watching he, he did that song new light and he was at electric lady studios and he said he was like they were at a point where they were gonna rec- record this one guitar part um and it just so happened on that day someone brought in a guitar one of prince's guitars mm-hmm. and the part that john Mayer was trying to add was a very like prince sort of like dead 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 like very yeah, like staccato very, yeah. and like he, and he said like it and he got to play prince's guitar like for a part that it, it just the the universe like brought that guitar in for that's that day awesome. it, you know what i mean it was like very yeah. serendipitous well that's some of the magic of like being in a studio with like multiple people coming and going those like weird little crossovers like Back in the day at some of the big studios in like New York City, you'd have like John Lennon in one room and like Stevie Wonder in another yeah. room. Like all these big music personalities just kinda like crossing paths. 
Yeah, that that's an experience I still haven't had as far as like I haven't been into a uh studio studio like the the EP I'm working on right now, which I'll probably be saying that for the next year at least, <laughs> just because of money and stuff. But it's I'm with Nick Diener. Um, he he has he's like a if, I don't know if you know who he is. I don't all, know if I know Nick Diener. He was like in a punk band called the Swellers. Okay, back in the day, he records uh, a lot of the bands, a lot of like of the, like the punk indie emo bands around here now. Sure, but um, he he just has a studio in his house which is awesome like he mm-hmm. built his whole downstairs like has a control room like has like a, a live room and shit and it just sounds amazing but it's still just someone's house and it's like you book the time with him you you're there there's not like there's mm-hmm. other bands going on and things like that yeah there's definitely house studios are awesome there's definitely a different vibe between being in like the real deal studios yeah it's kind of a special energy but for sure house studios are cool too yeah like he 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 did everything right like when mm-hmm. he, he built the rooms for it he he put up uh drywall that has like soundproofing in it it's like special type special walls mm-hmm. like for that thing i i don't know what the hell like how to say it properly but and he had like green glue or something mm-hmm. i think it's called um which is sound dampening or whatever so it's it's professionally done he recorded a bunch of albums like with professionals so like mm-hmm. he, he knew what to do and he learned a bunch of stuff over the along the way he's got a solid like rack of compressors and things like that he knows mm-hmm. what he's doing but it's i still would like to go to an actual studio at one point you know that's the dream one day well i think i might have told you in one of our conversations that my guitarist uh pat yeah or also known as paco he's opening a recording studio in the near future yeah in, in like redford uh mm-hmm. roseville michigan roseville, okay yeah so we we kind of found the property like probably over two years ago uh, it's been under construction for a long time. So we're kind of like in the last phase of construction on that right now. So uh, if, once so, it's done, if you're on pop Absolutely. Because I've... Show you around. I really want to... And I'd, I'd love to probably do some work there too. Like I, I love the idea of one, like patronizing my friends like in the, the right way. You know what I mean? Like I'd, I want to record with people I know because I, uh, I want to be able to trust somebody you know right it's one thing like if you're going to record in a really nice studio it's a big investment and you're really like yeah throwing a lot of risk and faith into somebody you may have never even met before yeah yeah to, like kind of give you that vision that's that thing you've been chasing for however long yeah so yeah and it's like if i recorded with with like you and your your buddy like that would i feel i feel like i'd feel comfortable doing that because i would we would talk anyways outside of the recording process. Right. So there'd be more time for you to like, for me to explain what I'm going for. And like, there would, I, f- I feel like there wouldn't be as much of like, a, um, it would be like a professional in the sense of like, I'd be paying, but mm-hmm. there wouldn't be like that professional sort of like stuffiness. I feel like. Right. Like, and like, like, I think just from like hearing your music and like knowing your taste and stuff, like, yeah, I have like a good enough picture that like, I feel like, yeah it'd be easier to kind of get on your same page and like be like okay i see what you're going for like let's make this happen yeah exactly so i'm I'm gonna finish up this record with with nick but you know that's only gonna be like a few songs i just want to have something to put out definitely you know and then i'll start trying to work on like a longer album i'll be working yeah i'd love to work with you guys and yeah I would, even before that though i'm down to come check it out did you, do you have any idea like when it'll be ready um we don't want to like say a specific date okay. right now because the construction process 
has had so many like random snafus yeah. that we're just kind of like okay uh we're posting updates like from time to time but it's gonna it's happening but we don't want to say like oh yeah we're opening on this day and then just repeatedly move that back so you guys have a name for it yeah it's a uh, tuxedo avenue recording studios oh that's sweet yeah tuxedo Ave. it's in a old building that used to be a taxidermy place for like probably 50 years Got some good juju then. <laughs> so we were looking for a place that was basically just like a shell that we could kind of make whatever we wanted with it. Yeah. That's and we really walked in this awesome. building and it, it was like the filthiest, grossest place. Probably was breaking all the codes ever yeah. for business safety, whatever. Just filled with like stuffed buffaloes and lions and stuff. <laughs> and like probably most people look at that place and be like, this is disgusting. Like you will never sell this building. We saw it. We were like, this is perfect. Yeah. Yeah that's awesome yeah um but it's gonna have this amazing 18 foot tall live room oh that would uh, be great yeah full control room with 24 channel uh, ssl console and we have three different production suites as well that are like kind of really flexible spaces where like say you've been recording in your bedroom and you're kind of looking to take it to the next level yeah. you can kind of rent out one of these spaces long term that's like professionally acoustically treated and kind of like move your gear there and kind of work with clients in there so it's a little more professional that's cool than having whatever bedroom studio or they can all kind of link together in certain ways so instead of renting just the large room say you're only doing acoustic guitar and vocals like you could do that in a smaller room yeah for maybe a little bit of cheaper price we're still kind of figuring out all the business model and everything but that's kind of some of the ideas do do either of you guys have like uh like production education uh so me and paco are more the creative types but the other two guys on our team are both like longtime audio engineers producers. Oh, okay cool yeah i would love to learn more about um because that's one of my goals down the road is like is being like a producer maybe not necessarily like a sound engineer mm-hmm. but like somebody who can uh work along with an engineer to like right. help bands like it's one of those things there's like thing. it's a never-ending thing supply of things to learn yeah there's always new things coming in you can always see things new perspectives like right super minimalist you can be super complicated yeah i always tend to lean towards complicated too like (laughs) at least with like my own stuff right like when it comes to production i'm always trying to outdo myself and add more i'm always adding more and then i usually will add too much then i'm like okay well what i gotta start trimming the fat after Mm -hmm. that yeah, something I learned with my record is like the true power of less is more. Oh yeah. And on so many of our tracks we were so guilty of that of like let's have 150 tracks of different things. And it was like this is our artistic vision and it's like awesome, but at the same time it's like we probably could have done like way less than that. Yeah. And I, I think a part of that is like if you're like writing recording in your bedroom, you're just things aren't going to sound as good, you're not going to get as good guitar tones and it doesn't sound good enough to you so you kind of just keep adding things and adding things trying to like mask the things yeah. that don't sound bad to try and fill up that space but if you're in like a real great room with great equipment and like you just record like a guitar track it's like it fills up so much space in such a great way that it's like yeah you don't even need that much else on top of it yeah like i've i've even used uh like amp modeling software mm-hmm. that sounds really good and at least for like a demo it does the job like mm-hmm. I there's yeah, probably- i mean i think we're gonna get to a point in the near future where 
amp modeling plugins are just indistinguishable from like real vintage amps. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just kind of where we're heading. If you have like a good a good preamp in your in your uh, interface, like this the little uh, Presonus the, ones, I think. Is it the Scarlet? Yeah, not Presonus. What is it? Uh, Focusrite. Mm-hmm. It sounds great, and I've noticed a big difference. Like I used to have like a mm-hmm. uh, like an M Audio one, and then I recently got that, and I plugged the guitar into it in my um, amp model software that I pirated. It sounds <laughs> so good, especially for clean guitar. Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, why am I? Why am I even worried about like? Because you can move the microphones out in the room, create like room space. There's like endless possibilities of like different things you can do. Change the microphone type. Mm-hmm. It's just like it is kind of crazy. I, I like. I doubt anybody would be able with some of these tones you can get. I doubt that anybody would be able to actually listen to it and be like, "Oh, that's amp modeler." Mm-hmm. You know. Well, something we did to kind of save some time and money on the record too is like, uh. All of our songs have a ton of different keyboard tracks, whether it's like yeah. Fender Road sounds or piano or like synthesizers, whatever you name it. Rather than spend all the time to record all the parts in the studio, we kind of recorded them all uh, on like my my friend's Nord in his bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Got all the sounds. And then we took all the tracks that were already finished and like comped the way we wanted them to the studio. And then we just um, kind of like set up amps and ran the the finished tracks through the amps and recorded them into like really good mics oh okay. so that kind of i think it's called reamping yeah so that kind of like takes your bedroom track and makes it sound really good huh so like play like a more digital like organ sound through like a vintage fender reverb rocket it's going to give it more of that like old air kind of oh, sound. oh wow that's a good idea yep like- so literally yeah there's a whole morning where we just track by track we just sat and listened to like our tracks play to themselves in the room and just re-record themselves huh that's pretty cool yeah i know you can do that with guitar too like where you you play Mm -hmm. you just like dry track a guitar right and then you can play it through a bunch of different amps to see which sound you like the most or even play it through back through your same amp and change the settings on the amp until you you know Mm -hmm. that, that way you don't have to keep fucking with the amp yep and playing it over again and that blew my mind when that was first introduced to me i was like dude that that's it like I, i've seen that a couple of sessions and it's just kind of weird to like see an empty room but you're like hearing all the guitar sounds like coming through it it's like yeah it's cool yeah now did you guys um track by track every single thing did you was there any live uh tracking together or we can, uh, we kind of had an idea going in that like we could have everything prepared note for note and kind of like do a lot of it live at the same time. And like Mike Watts was like very opposed to that. Okay. He was like, no, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) (laughs) And we were able to convince him to do bass and drums at the same time. And the whole time he was like, this is a bad idea. This is stupid. And then we ended up pulling it off. He was like, okay, yeah, that was good. Like that worked. But uh, kind of for the original scratch tracks, when we record bass and drums, we had everyone else playing along their tracks yeah but when it came time to guitar record guitar literally it was six 10 hour days to do the guitars all day every day and it was kind of each section of every song we record separately and we do a different tone for every section and the the attention to detail they had on tuning was like insane oh yeah. like that was their thing they were like you can't do a full take of guitar it will be out of tune there's nothing you can do about that so we would just do 
just hours and hours of takes of these same sections just over and over again. And we would just kind of comp in piece by piece by piece yep. until we had like these just pr- pristine, perfectly in tune guitar tracks. Like it was like totally maddening, but the end, like the end product is like, yeah, it's crazy. The difference between if you're a record with like pan guitars and they're out of tune, like kind of jagness versus just yeah. like, yeah. Oh yeah. The clarity of just perfect intonation. Yeah, I think it all just depends on what you're going for too. Yeah. Because you can get away with certain types of music. You can get away with a little bit of like it almost totally. gives you like a cool like chorus effect sometimes mm-hmm. when there's like a li- when it's just slightly off. When it's really bad though, that is the most one of the most obnoxious things. Yeah, sometimes world. if it's too perfect, it almost starts to feel a little like sterile or something. Yeah. But like I'm a huge fan of Weezer, like Weezer's Blue albums, like one of my favorite albums. And okay. that's like an album that's like very much like the guitars are not always in tune. Yeah. But it really just kind of fits with the aesthetic of what they were going for. Yeah. And I think like in like a fun, sloppy way. Yeah. But with your guys' album, I think definitely the opposite would be good. Like having everything being like pristine <laughs> because there is so much going on. Yeah. That you know, especially when you're incorporating a lot of keys, you have to make sure the guitar is always in tune. Right. Because that'll that'll throw everything off. Because the keys won't really fuck up. Definitely, you know. And then, so are you still playing with uh, that other band too? The um, the one that that you're oh, playing. Oh, um, yeah. The yeah, we actually, me and Brian met last January. Uh, I was playing at Mash in Ann Arbor with this band, Jennifer Westwood and the Handsome Devils. So they've been around Detroit for a while. Um, so I've been playing them for like a year and a half. Did a ton of touring with them last year or so, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm actually I have two shows with them in upstate New York next week. Oh, okay, so that should be fun. So, is it? Um, are those all originals? Or you guys do a lot of covers, or I, I can't remember. It's a lot of originals, and then kind of a lot of covers, kind of done in their own style. It's it's like a husband and wife duo. Um, she does all the business stuff. She sings. Um, he does all the driving. And <laughs> nice. all the guitar playing, so they've kind of a nice system going where they're kind of in it together. Cool. But yeah, usually a good time because I just kind of show up and just hop in the van, and it's like, yeah. where are we going this time? <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah. So you guys all like drive together, and you just have a van kind of thing. Yeah, they basically live out of their van. Oh, they recently wow. like uh, installed a mattress in the really back, yeah, with like storage <laughs> underneath for gear. That's funny. Did, now, have you ever toured with White Flash? No, we've we've only really played a handful of shows. The whole White Flash thing is kind of like an interesting, kind of weird story because pretty much right around the time the album was coming out, uh, me and my friend Taylor, who kind of we were the the people that wrote all of the music, we kind of like yeah decided that we were gonna like choose to not work with each other anymore just over some like personal disagreements. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like a weird thing where like we're, we kind of like split up, but it was like, I still want to play these songs. So I've yeah. been playing some local shows just because I think people deserve to hear some of them. Oh, okay. Now was Taylor was they, he one of the people that we played the show with at Club Above or? Uh, no, no, he actually lives in Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I used to live in Boston before I moved out here. Oh, so that that's where you recorded too, right? Isn't that what? Uh, we recorded in Long Island. Oh, Long Island. But we did all okay. the a lot of the writing and recording of demos in Boston. Oh, okay, okay. I knew I knew Boston was involved somehow. Yeah. So, so yeah. So long story short, 
so we both went to Berkeley College of Music together, and we met pretty much like first week of our second semester, and we ended up joining Berkeley's like online radio network. Oh, kind of okay. we had similar taste of music, so we hosted a radio show together at the school for a couple of years. <laughs> where we just cool. kind of talked about music we liked and stuff, and then kind of got to the point where it's like, well, we like all the same kind of music. Like, why don't we try to like write some music together? Right, yeah. So he was an audio engineering and songwriting major. I remember he, I got a call one day and it was like time for his final kind of like senior year project where yeah. you basically have to like write and produce a three song EP. And he was like, hey, do you want to like collaborate on some stuff? So that's kind of where White Flash started. Oh, okay. That's a pretty cool project. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. Like you have to do something for school, but then when you're done, you can like actually put it out. <laughs> right. Although Berkeley is a thing when you record in their studios, they technically own it, so you can't sell it, but you can like use it for promotional purposes. Oh. But yeah, okay. it was like the last semester of college, I had like five different friends who were like doing these projects. And I was just kind of like playing on all of theirs. So we were just in the studio all the time. Like I gotcha. It was, that was a lot of fun. Did they own the the songs themselves or no if, just you like go the, re-record just the them somewhere else okay yeah just like when you have your copyright you have the copyright for the song itself and the copyright for the sound recording okay so it's like they would you couldn't sell that particular recording of the song what's what is it like trying to get uh a copyright as like as someone who's looking to release music like sometime soon like i'd just curious like how how do you do that oh it, it's really easy like you can just go on the copyright website or whatever fill out like an application um what the i'm trying to i can't remember off the top of my head how expensive it is it might be close to hundred dollars or sixty dollars or something but the way it works is like if you do one session at a time you can like put as many works as you want within that one copyright oh so you can copyright like 60 songs at the same time and pay the fee once oh okay so like that's what i would do if i were you okay that's good to know yeah because i was just don't i don't want anyone stealing my shit dude right yeah. <laughs> as i feel like that might be something that goes overlooked too like mm-hmm. a band will be excited to release something and they don't even think like oh let me copyright this and especially if it's something that blows up quickly right if they, most if, most bands don't really think that far ahead in the future they're like oh we're just writing music and then it's like if it gets to that point it's like oh my god like we are not prepared for this yeah yeah same thing with like um like a lot of bands don't have any type of agreement of like how royalties are going to be split or yeah. like if somebody like leaves the band, like how that's going to work. So there's like so many situations of like bands breaking up and there's like no agreed upon thing of like it's who's like getting prenup, what. Dude. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's like basically just divorce. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting thing. Like, I've, so even if you're like brand new band in your honeymoon period and you're like, we're all best friends and this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Like, it's not bad to just like get something in writing, like just so everyone's protected, like yeah, no matter what. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I was watching a one of the Joe Rogan podcasts where he had uh, Billy Corgan mm-hmm. from Smashing Pumpkins, and he said that like it was a source of like major frustration for and like mm-hmm. division because he got way more of the royalties, right? And, and like that was a piece of advice he, he gave was like no matter what, if you guys are all touring together, if they're full members of the band just split it evenly mm-hmm. you know and i'm like that's that's just interesting to me because like if because there there's a point to be made about if you're like the main songwriter mm-hmm. and if you're doing like the lion's share of the work when it comes to actually writing the songs there's the argument that like yeah you kind of maybe deserve a little bit 
more for the sales of those songs. Yeah. And then maybe you split up, split evenly like different things like merch sales or mm-hmm. like, you know, like ticket prices and things like that. When right. it comes to like the actual physical, the music being sold, I could see that. But at the same time, if you, if you want to keep your band together mm-hmm. and, and the way it is, it might be better depending on how the egos and all that work. It might be better right. to just like sacrifice, be like, yeah, I know I maybe deserve more. But it's interesting because it's really easy to be like, yeah, we'll split everything evenly. But if it ever gets to the point where it blows up and suddenly there's a lot of money involved, that's when everyone will yeah. be like really defensive and like, no, I wrote that drum part. Like, uh, I need my ten percent share of that song. Yeah, yeah, oh, that'd be so complicated, man. Mm-hmm. That'd be so. And oftentimes royalties are like split up between the music and lyrics. So like some people it'll be like, well, if you're the chief songwriter, like, yeah, you get all the lyrics. Like that's all you for royalties. But like maybe. Yeah the full band kind of shares the music part evenly. There's all sorts of different oh, compromises okay. you can come to. Yeah, that's interesting. That's why there's lawyers, I guess. Exactly. Jeez. And then I think I've heard like, you're talking about like paying people fairly on tour. I think I've heard Trent Reznor, at least back in the day, like all of his touring musicians were paid like peanuts. Really? And it was kind of like, if you don't want the gig, like somebody else will just take it. So it's like yeah. these guys were like, making like no money in there they're like on these world tours yeah and on the other hand like i've heard patty smith even today splits everything evenly every show with like everyone whether it's like guitar tech or like the lighting dude or bass player or whatever oh wow that's Which, pretty cool. yeah i think that's a way better way to do it yeah if you can swing it yeah you don't even have to do that like so that's that's something that's really mm-hmm. like you can you can do less than that and still be like wow that's respectable right you know but to just like give every member of the production itself like full like equal mm-hmm. them like sweet yeah if i'm like the that lead guitar player i might be like i mean not me personally but you could see hypothetically a lead guitar is like wait mm-hmm. fucking the guy carrying my amp onto the stage is getting as much as me mm-hmm. or something like that i'm like Ugh. but at the same time i'm sure patty smith would be making way more than him and like yeah kind of yeah. cutting up to spread out that bigger pie to everyone else so yeah yeah that's interesting something i haven't had to experience <laughs> i haven't had to worry about just being some random guy with no songs out in the world but it's interesting to think about everybody wants to you know we can only hope that someday that's a problem that we have to face because that's right. a not a bad problem to have i feel like if it gets to that point not that it would be fun to deal with but you know um oh i forgot i'm gonna hit pause real quick and go get some of that coffee real fast all right and we're back this episode invite the neighbors it's brought to you by um, ZipRecruiter, or I don't know. I usually say MeUndies, because like most podcasts somehow, like they're all sponsored by MeUndies. Like they have, they're, they're doing it big on the podcast game. But um, so I was going to tell you the story about how I got my acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. which is like probably the one of the nicest things I own. And I, that's all, like the only thing I really baby is that thing. Uh, so like. When I was 23, I uh, was having like this quarter life crisis, like this identity crisis. And I felt like I, uh, for, you know, I, I just felt like a wuss. I felt like I was like, a, I was like afraid of things. And like, I was living out in cold water, like which is out in the middle of nowhere, like farm town and stuff. And my sister's boyfriend had this, uh, this Yamaha R1, like crotch rocket. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh you know what like i'm terrified of motorcycles let me try to ride this thing like let me learn how to ride so like 
The first time I ever rode a motorcycle was a thousand cc crotch rocket. Oh my god! Like an idiot, and uh, <laughs> I loved it. And like, even though it was terrifying, like okay, I'm gonna face my fear. You know what I mean? Then like, I'll, I'll I'm gonna get over this. So it was just fucking irrational, convoluted thinking. Mm-hmm. And so like, I bought this uh, like Kawasaki Ninja 600 cc, which apparently in my mind, like, well, it's not a thousand cc. So like, this is more of like a, which still was way too much way too much power for for me to have uh and so like i i bought it and then i kind of learned how to ride a little bit I, I had no business being on it whatsoever but i was in a walmart one day with it and this was like three months after i'd bought it mm-hmm. and uh i went to accelerate and it was too cold it was like march and so the tires were cold and the pavement was cold and I accelerated too fast and like the tire and the pavement didn't get any traction. So the back tire just like slid out and like the bike just like fell. Like I, <laughs> I, I, it, I just crashed and like it slid out and like I fell on top of the bike and like smashed it into the ground. So, mind you, I had only gotten up to maybe like 15 miles an hour. You know what I mean? I, as soon as I hit the accelerator, it started sliding and it crashed and totaled the bike. So uh, long story short, I had full coverage on it, and so they totaled it out, and and they the value they gave me the check they gave me for the total value of the bike to pay off the loan was a thousand dollars more than what I had actually paid for it. So thousand dollar acoustic guitar <laughs> is I'm wow. like that yeah I'm like that was the sign from the gods that I am not meant to be on a motorcycle. That's why you always wear helmet, kids. I was wearing a helmet. I definitely was wearing a helmet and uh, my Applebee's uniform. I was working at Applebee's at the time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, dude. Yeah, I know. I'm sure you got some stories. <laughs> yeah, I, dude, I was in food service for, for... I started when I was like 16 in high school. It was one of those things where I was like, Dad, I want my driver's license. He's like, uh, I'm not giving you your license until you get a job. Mm-hmm. I'm like... How am I supposed to get a job without a license? It was that classic thing. So he like took me around applying and I worked at Bob Evans and I got that job and I worked there for five years. Oh my God. So you must know a thing or two about sausage then. <laughs> down on the farm, dude. They do it differently <laughs> down there. Yeah, I was, dude, that was one of the worst jobs ever. I mean, it's just as far as like, I started off washing dishes. By the end, I had done every single job in that, in that thing except for host. But like, so I know how to work in a restaurant. I thought I would never go back, but now I'm like applying for restaurant jobs again because I just want to make extra money. But I feel like it'll be better since it's not my main gig. Right. That like just knowing that I could walk out at any time and quit forever. And you're not like relying on that solely for your living. Yeah. I feel like I'll be less stressed because like I think part of the stress of like, especially when I was serving was like oh shit, like I have to do this. I can't just leave as much Mm. as I hate this. And if this one dude's having a bad day and doesn't tip you, it's like crap like yeah have you ever worked in like restaurants or anything uh not not food service i've i have a very non-traditional work history (laughs) oh okay that works yeah mine was very just like not creative at all i didn't really try to like think outside the box i was just like okay i got this job and then i was just like "Eh, i don't really want to put the effort into finding a better one oh my sister's calling me that's the best ring- ringtone ever, though. <laughs> I was going to say, if you like that song, uh, Paco, who plays guitar in White Flash, has his own band called Paco Higdon Band. And last last summer, we released... I also play bass in that band. 
Last okay. summer we released a pretty incredible acoustic cover of that. Really? Which I'm sure you would get kick of. Lift yourself. <laughs> yeah. We performed it live a couple times. Holy shit, dude! That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An acoustic cover of that. Like song. we're talking four part harmonies. Lift yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll show you the video afterwards. Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> that's that's awesome. So with White Flash, you guys are still playing shows. Yeah, so we were supposed to play at um, Smalls on Hamtramck last Tuesday, but unfortunately, the touring band from Massachusetts that was headlining had some van difficulty and could not make it. So we kind of were like, we were only going to be doing a Tuesday show like to help these guys out. So we decided we're going to reschedule that one, possibly for the fall. Uh, And then our, our next show on the books right now is at the Ghost Light in Hamtramck. August 31st. Okay. So that's going to be with uh, the band Aviva, which is uh, one of my roommate's bands. They're kind of like jammy, but also like jammy alt rock. And then I have two friends that are going to be on tour coming to Detroit. Uh, My friend, Miss Christine, who's from Iowa. And then my friend, Eric Paul, um, from original Ohio, but also Nashville now. So that's going to be a really awesome lineup. That's also going to be our year anniversary oh, okay. of our first show and the album release. So, and You guys played the album release at L Club, right? Actually, no, album release was also at Ghostlight. So we're just oh, kind of okay. like going back to Ghostlight, kind of recreating that magic. <laughs> you you mentioned that you have played at L Club though, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we headlined L Club last January. Okay. So that, that was a really fun show. I was, I really want to play that venue and... I've heard some bad things about L Club, like, but I don't know. Here's the thing. So, like, within this indie rock scene that, like, I'm slowly getting to know better and better mm-hmm. just from doing this, there's, there's like, murmurs of L Club having an issue because every time, like, I see someone, I saw someone, like, post about, the oh, we're playing the show, this show coming up, and listen, guys, I know it's at L Club, but we'd really yeah. appreciate it if so you come I out. I might be able to shed some light on yeah, that. Yeah, please do. So, I, I was kind of ignorant to this kind of stuff because I had been to L Club just to see bands I liked a couple times and I was, yeah. always had a good time uh, but last winter they fell into a huge scandal because the guy running it was revealed to have a lot of like kind of racist policies against oh. employees where he was not even just I think it was gender too where it was like female employees of color were making significantly less oh really than others and um the guy had like a bad habit of like kind of like hiring guys that he was attracted to and kind of like hitting on them and like paying those guys more money like a lot of just really bad kind of like hr stuff going on yeah but also he was like a really kind of wealthy trust fund kind of guy from la not even from detroit who kind of came out to detroit with daddy's money to like try and make a thing so he opened this venue up in mexican town which is like this really awesome neighborhood in detroit yeah just really diverse and vibrant and it kind of created this big thing that brings in all these people and all these late nights and a lot of noise and traffic but it's a thing that doesn't really serve anyone in mexican town this is all just kind of people for the most part that don't live there that are just coming in for these shows and leaving yeah so there's just a lot of neighborhood kind of disdain for the guy too for doing that because he, huh. he, it's not like he would came in and was like, "I'm going to do this cool 
venue and hire people in the neighborhood and stuff. So it might be a better something that if it was in like Corktown or Midtown or something like that, it would be maybe yeah. w- better received. Well, minus all the like the racist mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff. But. Yeah, and yeah. So last December, like this one employee in particular who had all this kind of kind of awful kind of racial gender kind of bias against her was i think he like basically was like um i'll pay you like thousands of dollars to like keep hush about it wow and then she was like i'm not taking your money and kind of went to the press and then all this stuff came out the dude had to step down it was chaos people were like canceling shows left and right Mm. and at the time i didn't realize any of this was going on and that's when i was trying to book a show and i was like hey you know trying to book a show and then they got back immediately and we're like yep we're available that day like let's do it at first i was like this is weird like i yeah i would did not expect to hear back from this venue but i'm just guessing i happened to email in the chaos and they're like just desperate they're like oh we just need anyone yeah (laughs) how far in advance were you did you book it i think it's like um, two months maybe oh okay yeah i feel like for that's that's unfortunate like because i love that venue like the patio is it's such a good summertime Mm -hmm. venue and like the room is cool like it's a cool it's just set up i like the setup of Mm -hmm. it a lot so that the guy stepped down so do you know if they have like better ownership now or i i've i haven't heard any more like awful stuff the last six months or so so i assume things are better although it kind of has that taint on its reputation now yeah honestly i think deluxe flux is taking its spot i don't know if you've been there i haven't i've so, heard of it uh it's in the belt in downtown detroit if you're familiar yeah like the alleyway filled with murals yeah. and stuff so it's this underground place deluxe flux used to be an art installation that would kind of travel around the country It's made by this oh, okay. these two guys from brooklyn i think and it's like all these like weird vintage german comics that are kind of rearranged in like weird ways to like make these interesting statements and it's at this whole room where everything's colorful and glowing yeah. and blacklit and stuff. That's pretty sweet. So, and like they decided to make this a permanent bar in Detroit. So one of the rooms is like their installation. Uh, I, it, I'd say it's primarily a dance club, but they get a lot of really great touring acts through there too. Huh. And uh, Virginia Benson, I believe that's her name, who used to do all the booking at L Club is now doing all their booking. Oh, so a lot of the okay. bands that were doing shows at L Club are now kind of moving over there, I think. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cause that like the, yeah, maintain the relationship with the booker and things like that that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense were there ever any issues with virginia or like no she was okay kind of, she, she kind of runs her own kind of booking thing oh company. Okay. okay so she was just kind of doing all clubs booking and then i guess she moved i think she does mocad to the museum of contemporary art in detroit oh okay well that would make sense that she would be like on board with like deluxe flux being mm-hmm. it that it's like one of those like contemporary art type things yeah yeah, you should really definitely get, check it out if you get a chance. If you yeah. see a band you know coming through. Yeah, definitely. Like I've been in the last year, I've I've maybe more like the last six months, I've been trying to get more into like contemporary art and like the installations and things like that. Because mm-hmm. for me it's like really polarizing contemporary art because I think there's a fine line between like good contemporary art mm-hmm. and like anybody could do that. You know, like right. I, I and I, I'm not taking away from any any of it. I just think that, like, for me to like art, I need to look at it. And this is just me, you know. I mean, art is one of those totally like uh, subjective things. Like for me to really appreciate it, I need to look at something and 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 know that it took talent, you know. Right. And it wasn't just like some random assortment of shit. 
with no rhyme or reason to it. I, I think most art, and modern art especially, it's like a thing that really needs context to fully appreciate. Because yes. there's plenty of like modern art where it's like, oh, this is just like a blue square that has a green square in it. And you're like, this looks like an elementary school project. Yeah. But then if like an art historian sits you down and they're like, well, like really what this is, is like a take yeah. on this concept and like how really like frames are just pictures outside of pictures so this is like a frame within a frame within a frame and they can next thing you know you're like wow that's so cool you know it's like yeah it hasn't changed i think some of that stuff is is accurate and then i also think it's it's convenient it's like convenient to to put things in context and and i I, it can be it can be very pretentious certain very very. you know what i mean it's the same thing with like tasting wine yeah where somebody could talk about 30 minutes about the earthy tones and yeah all these things and it's like i think that's even more like justifiable (laughs) yeah sometimes than like literally a brown canvas or something like that like like, i took a couple semesters of art history in college and i was kind of like was met on art and like it really turned my perspective to like actually kind of learn historical stuff about yeah whatever i mean that's something that I wish I would have done. I wish I would have taken art and especially music classes in college because like I, I even especially with music, I'm completely ignorant to like theory and things mm-hmm. like that. I, I really wish I knew something about it. But it, in a way, it's going off on a tangent now, but like in a way, like knowing theory doesn't really like my my style, like my sound is kind of based on me not knowing theory like it's because like a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff i come up with is will be you know things that wouldn't be like entry-level theory stuff you know like a lot of times i'll come up with chords or like weird progressions that if i was like i'm not a very good guitar player but mm-hmm. like i i feel like if i knew theory and i was at the level i was at now i would be, i wouldn't be writing the types of things that i do you know if that makes sense at all because like I, yeah I've, I've definitely heard that argument before where it's kind of like the idea it's like well if i learn all these rules that's just kind of like chained down my creativity yeah and I'm, i used to be kind of afraid of that but i'm also i'm a huge proponent of music theory but i'm also biased because my dad's like a music theory professor at a college, oh okay so. okay <laughs> um so, so I'm, I'm kind of a huge music theory geek was there ever a time when you see i want to meet somebody who like who's in my position like i've been playing guitar 15 years no theory knowledge I want to see like somebody who was maybe in that boat, then learned theory, and their sound didn't change. It just maybe got better. So, I mean, the way I look at it is it's kind of one of those things where you learn all the rules, so then you know how to break them. Yeah. And the advantage is when you've really got like a really good grasp of music theory, then when you hear whatever you're hearing in your head, you can translate that almost immediately. You know exactly yeah. what you're doing. Um you can do exactly what you've been doing, but now you just know how to define it. And with yeah. that definition, you have a better idea of where it could go. Yeah. No. And like, I've, I've slowly like been breaking down the stubborn wall for me of like realizing, and now I openly admit that like making that argument that I just made is, is just a rational, it's mm-hmm. just me rationalizing, not wanting to put the work into it. Right. Because, and know? it was, I remember it was really hard especially like being a teenager like new to music when people are like oh you need to like learn this it's like no man i'm my own (laughs) boss i'll learn whatever i want to learn right like i remember in high school my dad would like try to give me like music theory tips i'd be like shut up dad 
<laughs> I don't need your knowledge. Give me my allowance. <laughs> so you're, what was it like growing up with uh, like a musical parent? I mean, imagine that must have been kind of cool. He, he was very careful not to kind of like push me towards music, but it was kind of like if I was naturally interested, he was happy to kind of like engage with that and kind of like feed into the interest. But it was never like, all right, you're going to do music and you're going to love it. Like I did piano lessons for a couple of years at a young age. And I kind of like fell off that. And okay. then I ended up picking up drums from age 10. I was primarily a drummer until about 15 or 16. Tom Pick, Phillips, what can't he do? Picked up, picked up bass at 14. And when I got my first bass, it was like Arthur pulling the Excalibur out of the... Okay, like, yeah. Like my parents supported me like being a drummer, but they were like, yeah, like he's a good drummer. And then I like picked up a bass. They were like, oh, he's a bass player. Now everything makes sense. Like, yeah. So do you think that's like your main, is that your favorite thing to do or? Uh, definitely. That's like my comfort zone. That, like that's what I studied in college was like specifically electric bass. What's your uh, base of choice? Is it the uh, Rickenbacker that you play? Rickenbacker. Yeah. It's, I mean, that sound is like unbeatable. Um, the last like six months or so I've been playing P bass more okay. just for the variety. Yeah. But I, I, I have a Squire jaguar bass i would really love a fender jaguar bass yeah i rocked the fender jaguar for like 10 years oh really yeah okay. i've got one of the old like 2007 ones it's like super bright red because it's got the the p bass and the j bass pickups yes yeah because Which... i used to play on cruise ships for a while and that was perfect because that bass was so flexible i could like sound like five different bases depending yeah. on whatever cover song i need to play that's what I, I bought it originally just for recording purposes and it's great for it, mm-hmm. especially because I have like amp modeling software. Right. So it's like I run that, in, you know, good preamps, good amp modeling software. You can't tell that I'm playing a Squire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like I can it's exactly like you said, you can make it sound like so many different things. And I, I spent like $180 on it. You know, I mean, I I have no purpose to own a bass for like live performances right. and things like that. The only reason I have my buddy's jazz bass is because the the electronics on the Squire are really shitty and like the part where you put in the wires connecting where you put the nine volt mm-hmm. in the, the wires shorted out. Uh, so stupid. it's like, yeah. So I just needed, I need to go take it somewhere and get it fixed. And I'm just too lazy because I got too many instruments that need to be fixed <laughs> at the moment. Like I have a ukulele that is missing a string has been for like two years. <laughs> I was getting pretty good at ukulele until my string broke and then, that was like two cars ago that I broke that <laughs> string. Oh, man. You know, I, I'll probably just take it in today now that I mention it. So just I guess, get it over with. Yeah. take I'm Just take it. all your instruments in the same time. I thought time about it. Just I thought about it. With. Yeah. Because like I got to get new strings on the acoustic, get the Strat fixed. I want to get the SG set up. Tally's fine. Mm. Tally's in good shape. It's, it's the one that looks kind of gnarly because like I, uh, I bought a white pickguard for it to change mm. it out from the black. And I couldn't find black humbucker ring. I mean, white humbucker rings anywhere for whatever reason. Like you just can't find them in, in like in a shape. I mean, in a size that fits a Fender Telecaster. They're all either like black or like chrome or gold or whatever. So I tried painting the black one, and it just did not come out mm. right at all. It just it's super smudged. I'll sh- I'll show you like when we're done. It's it just looks like shit. But only when you look up close. But that's like the only thing that the only guitar that doesn't need like a setup or something 
I just, I wish I knew how to do those things. <laughs> yep. Don't we all definitely yeah. save a lot of money. Right. But at the same time, it's really nice to just like let somebody else do it and just like not even have to worry. Yeah. Just like you drop it off and you get it like a week later and it just feels like a new instrument again. Yeah. I took my SG to elderly guitar one time out in Lansing. Mm-hmm. That's by far, I feel like the best luthier that I've, that I've had experience with. Uh, around, not around, luthier, around here, sorry, uh, there's a guy that works at Berkeley Music Company in Berkeley. Yep, heard of that too. I've heard that of that does really too. Really good work. His name's um, Mark. I feel like yeah, that's almost about the same same distance. I feel mm-hmm. like to go to either one. And I know there's uh, if you ever need amp work, do you play Fender amps? I I play Mark bass right now. Oh, Mark bass. Okay, because there's a guy who does Fender. Uh, he's certified by Fender to work on amps out of uh, Jackson. Mm, I think I've heard of him. Uncle Tom, not Uncle Tom's. I don't know why I was thinking that. <laughs> uh, it's like I think it's like Tom's Diner or something like Al's Diner is what it was. Interesting. I, know, I was thinking Uncle Tom's Cabin. That <laughs> that book. I was like, why the fuck is that thing coming into my head? But no, it's Al's Diner. Yeah, and it's super sweet. Like the amp I have, the little Fender uh, Blues reissue. Mm-hmm. There's tons of stuff online. I, there's like entire forums dedicated to like modifying that amp. Right. I mean, I love Fender amps on guitars, no question. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, uh, are there any projects where you play guitar? Well, me and guitar have a funny relationship because like literally I only, for the most part, I only played as like a conduit for songwriting because obviously writing songs on the bass just like, it's very hard to do, very impractical. Right. So like at this point, I'd say like I've gotten to be like a decent guitarist, but like pretty much everything I've learned is like through trying to write songs oh okay and when you were when you were first starting out learning music like on guitar was it pretty much like a classical approach a classic approach like just lessons things like that or did you i mean i in high school i probably learned a couple open chords whatever i learned power chords and then like towards i got a guitar towards the second half of college and i took one semester of like it was like guitar for non-guitarists so that was kind of nice, like introduction to oh, okay. like scale shapes and some more like bar chords and seventh chords and stuff. What do you feel like of all the instruments that you've learned was the easiest to learn? I think piano is the easiest to start. Okay. Because like just to be able to like learn a basic melody and play it back on piano is like you just kind of have to memorize which notes and when to play them. Versus something like guitar, or like flute or something, like just to even make a sound yeah. that's good. It could be <laughs> yeah. like weeks or months of practice. Like I, I can say they're the trumpet. I can't make anything even come out with it. Oh, but like yeah. anyone can walk up to a piano and be like, hey, this is Mary Had a Little Lamb and they've played a song. Yeah. I think the, the piano is just laid out and it just keeps repeating. Right. You know, whereas with the guitar, like all of a sudden the fourth string is different. <laughs> right. You know, and then it, it goes back. That took me a while to figure out. But I don't know. I I wish I I still I need to just take guitar lessons, dude. Like I, I I've been putting it off for so long, and I I had it. I was signed up to take guitar lessons, and mm-hmm. then just something came up with family. Like it, I've been telling myself for like five years take guitar lessons, then I finally had one, and then I had some family shit. Ah, uh, that's too bad. Yeah. So, because I want to do like that in vocal lessons, because. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to sing properly. <laughs> yeah, it's important. It's easy to blow your voice if you're not doing it right. Right, right. And especially like I, I definitely try to do in certain sections where like I am like yelling like like tr- my best mm-hmm. Dave Grohl impression. 
you know, mm-hmm. and I lost my voice the last time I did it, or I didn't lose it, but I, I, I over, over scratchy voice to mm-hmm. over screamed it, I guess. And then I had like a lump in my throat for the rest of the song and I had to, I couldn't clear my throat and I was like, I had like two and a half minutes left of a song and I'm like, this fucking sucks. Yeah, that's bad. That should like never happen. Right, right. Hopefully. And I'm, yeah, it's because I don't know, you know, I practice a lot in the car and things like that and Mm -hmm. I I know about like diaphragm breathing and things like that. Yeah. It's easy to forget because I haven't admittedly i haven't put the work in to make it second mm-hmm. nature yeah i mean i've done some vocal lessons but admittedly i'm i feel like i'm just an okay vocalist overall like so you really have to be in rock and roll though it's right. <laughs> as long as you can sell what you're trying to sing yeah in the way that sounds believable in rock and roll that that'll usually cut it yeah yeah i feel like that too my my guitar playing's kind of interesting though because it's like theoretically i understand the instrument really well but I just don't have like the years and muscle memory to like sit down and like be able to like hammer out things. And, mm. Like I'll have like a part where I'm like, I know exactly what I want to play and I'm just like sitting there and I can't even get it out. Uh, yeah. See, I feel like I'm with, with guitar. I, I just been so, I've just been lazy about it. Like I was, I can come up with some really cool parts and things I really, really mm-hmm. like, but it's a matter of like, when I'm when I'm in the studio, for instance, like it's it's frustrating sometimes how many times I have to play a part, right? Because the part will be really cool, but I can't. I'm a good live guitar player mm-hmm. because it's like all those like little nuances and like a little bit of slop to the playing that mm-hmm. that lends itself well to playing live and you're singing and it's more of like a it's not about being perfect, it's about like right. performing. Well, you can't hide when you're in the studio. R- exactly, exactly. And like I've had some embarrassing moments where it's like playing a simple arpeggio, and mm-hmm. I can't get it perfect. It takes it can so be many stressful tries. too if like everyone's in there and they're like you're the only dude doing anything. Everyone's just kind of focused on yeah. listening to you record, and you're just like screw yeah. it up. Thankfully for my band, like I'm the only one who really does anything except for drums. Right. <laughs> so it's like yeah, once we record the drums, get that out of the way, it's just on me. And so, like, I'm I'm the one putting the money into it. Like, I'm the one whose time I'm wasting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but even when I was recording with uh with Nick, it was just it's just embarrassing. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's just like, well, we're already our own worst critics as songwriters. Oh, yeah, yeah. So then to amplify that of just kind of like repeating the same thing over and over again, yeah, it can I, eat yeah. you up. How do you feel like like live shows? Um, do you feel like you? bounce back pretty well from like if you have like a bad show or something like are you able to just kind of put it behind you or are you like yeah i i mean at this point i feel like i've just played so many shows where it's just like it's just like another show like yeah every once in a while there's like a little snafu that i'll get kind of like frustrated in the moment like i had a show a couple months ago where like literally the first note of the song i'd like somehow stepped on my cord and plugged myself and the first minute of the performance was me like trying to like find my cable and plug it in oh. so like the rest of the set i was just kind of like oh, this, this sucks yeah but at the happens. same time like the next day i wasn't like really bothered by it right see what annoys the shit out of me is when and this makes me not want to be this person is when you go up to somebody because you really enjoyed their set mm-hmm. and instead of like you said like, oh man I, that was really great and like i've done this with a band i played a show with i won't say who but like i say i said you know i really enjoyed your set i gave them like specific details about mm-hmm. it that i really enjoyed like 
genuine being genuine and couldn't get a thank you out of the guy I, mm-hmm. all i got was just like uh just didn't like this and didn't like this i'm like dude just at a certain point it gets to the point where it's like get over yourself a yeah. little bit it's like okay i mean yeah you that was every it's a consensus that your band sounded the best in the room mm-hmm. of anyone who was here it was that kind of thing and you can't even like i feel bad for them mm-hmm. you know because it's like yeah i mean you should always try your best to accept compliments even if you're frustrated at yourself for a yeah. reason like don't shut down the other person i also just felt bad for him i was like you that was a great performance that their band had and mm-hmm. you can't find any way of enjoying it mm-hmm. you know that well there's a lot of perfectionists out there like neil peart from rush i think like 95 percent of their shows he goes home and feels really bad about his playing where <laughs> most people are like yeah. he's literally the best drummer ever so yeah that's just so it's, it's just like a side effect of a lot of side effect of music for a lot of people yeah i mean i, I i've gotten over it like when i first started playing shows i would uh with it, with it, the exception of a couple shows where I knew like we all killed it and I was really mm-hmm. happy, but at first I would be like I would like there was this one time when I it was my first show with the Blind Pig and uh when I was done I just for whatever reason I couldn't hear my vocals very well and I was just so self conscious that I was being pitchy because I couldn't hear mm-hmm. myself and so like I went up to a couple of my friends afterwards and they were like yeah that was fine and mm-hmm. they were joking. Like, cause they loved it, mm-hmm. but in my head, it was like confirming what I was mm-hmm. already thinking. So I was like, oh my God, that was terrible, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, oh, no, are you kidding me? We're just fucking with mm-hmm. you, you know? And since then I was like, okay, I'm just going to go by what the people in the audience say. Right. If they say they loved it, cool. I'm happy. I remember a singer in a band I used to play in who's like incredible, like amazing singer, like literally perfect pitch. And there was like one show he played like years ago where like one dude shouted out between songs. He was like, learn to sing. Oh, like Jesus. just to be an asshole. And that like yeah. probably still bothers him. Like <laughs> those, yeah. People don't realize like what, you know, that, that they are actually having an effect mm-hmm. on people. Like some little joke to the right I ego mean, can just be shattered. musicians, we're, shatter- we're uh, really fragile people. Yeah. Like one comment can ruin, ruin our life. <laughs> I know, man. Oh, yeah. I've, like I said, I've gotten I've gotten better about it, and I haven't had very many people like openly criticize me, mm-hmm. which I'm very thankful for. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> rare in general. I think like my best friends will do it. They'll let me know when I had a shitty performance. Usually, just vocal wise, mm-hmm. like the guitar is always fine. And if I if I fuck up on guitar, I recover. Like I know yeah. my songs. It's but... it's nice to have people you trust in the audience to kind of tell you straight. Be like, honestly. Yeah. That part kind of sucked tonight, just so you know. And you're like, cool, I'll work on that thing. Yeah. I'd Not much, like a hateful way, but that's... Yeah, constructive. It, yeah, constructive. I'd much rather have that than like a bunch of sycophants who are just going to like just kiss ass and be like, oh, that was the yeah. greatest thing ever. Like, no, it's not. I, I found that like sometimes when all you hear is like praise or compliments from shows, for some reason, the more you hear of that, sometimes like the less you actually believe it. It's like yeah. a weird thing psychological thing i've heard too like that and then i've heard like musicians and i don't really follow this but like some musicians they they think it's like a faux pas to tell like another musician that they really enjoyed their set because Mm -hmm. because then the idea is that it's fake or something that so like if you really like someone you just if you thought it was really good you just go oh that was good 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like, especially in jazz, I think that kind of thing's really common. Like, huh. if you tell something they're really good, and it's like, then they're gonna stop practicing, or it's like, you always gotta like feel like you're not good enough, so you still have to drive to better yourself. Ah. Uh, so what I'll try to do to like, uh, I guess. I don't know if mitigated is the right word, but just kind of like meet it in the middle mm-hmm. is if I really, really like someone, I'll, I'll find something like, like what specifically I liked about it. Yeah. I'll be like, Oh, that the tone at this part, you know what I mean? I like to, I like doing that too, where you can just kind of say like the positive thing, but point out something specific that kind of like, they know like, Oh, this person was listening. Like, yeah, cause it's kind of nice. Cause there's, you put so much effort into it. So you never really know if anyone's actually paying attention so when somebody's like, oh, I really like that one little thing. You're like, oh, I love that little thing. Like, I'm yeah. so glad that one person heard it. And it's like, it's honestly, it, it's the same for me as like dating tip right here. Complimenting, like complimenting a girl for me. Like, I feel like a lot of guys will be, or like a lot of girls t- talk compliment guys. I wouldn't really know. I don't get those, but uh, you could, guys will be like, oh, you're so hot. You know, mm-hmm. something like that. I'm just that like, means like nothing. Exactly. Whereas like, I'll be like, oh, I like your glasses. Or I like I like something if something say, they like, chose. Yeah, I like how your earrings complement the dress you're yeah. wearing. Something where it shows you've like Yeah. Yeah. You're complimenting something that they had a say in. Exactly. You know, rather like same with the band. Like I really like, you know, that guitar tone or like or you know, I really like the way like that part meshed into that part. Mm-hmm. It shows you're actually paying attention to mm-hmm. something like the choices they made rather than like just like giving some blanket statement that you don't know mm-hmm. if it's genuine or not. Yeah, so there's a little Brian Porter dating tip right there. That's a that's a rare that's one. A pro tip. Yeah, I normally don't give away my secrets. You know? <laughs> Watch out, Ann Arbor. I, dude, you better believe it, man. Um, trying to think. Uh, oh, so like on your tours that you've played, mm-hmm. um, what is what has been some of like your favorite places to play outside of the state? Um, let's see. I mean, obviously, you're from Boston, so, like... Yeah, actually, I haven't played in Boston in years. But with the touring I've done recently, um, I've been to upstate New York probably four or five times last year. That's that's a really good time. Okay. Good good kind of lovers of music up there. There's this one place I'm playing next weekend that i played a couple times called Balloons that's in this, like, kind of ski town, small ski town. And it's kind of like this awesome bar that's also kind of like a blues club. And when you play there, it's like open tab and they've got this awesome apartment upstairs you crash in. Just like a little mini rock star treatment for a night. So that, that kind of stuff's fun. Oh, that's cool. And I was kind of surprised to find that like, actually have had a lot of fun in Texas, even like smaller places. Because hmm. I'd never, I'd never been to Texas until last summer. Where about in Texas? Um, all, all over the place. Um, from like places like Dallas and San Antonio to like, literally a town of like 20 people oh wow okay but just generally really really friendly hospital people love music like always willing to like throw you some extra bucks and oh that's cool and now like so that's i would say the the band that i saw you play in mash what are they called again jennifer westwood and the handsome devils okay yeah i feel like that is maybe more of like a bar band sort of thing like totally that they're they're super diy like and they're they're different than a lot of other bands because their goal isn't to be like the next big band. Their goal is right. to be professional musicians and make a living off music. Right, right. So they right, take right. a ton of gigs that like most bands would never even think of doing, like longer gigs, more like working gigs. 
but kind of all over the country. Yeah. So like, yeah, we play this place in Barnhart, Texas. Literally, this town is like a gas station and this bar that also sells barbecue. And there's like <laughs> nothing anywhere around in any direction except oil fields. Oh, so wow. you have these young dudes that like work in these oil fields and they're making good money, but they're like in the middle of nowhere and there's literally nothing to do. <laughs> so the fact that like for some reason a band from Detroit has decided to travel to like the middle of nowhere and play music for them all night, yeah. like, they are stoked. Huh. So like literally we were we'd make like hundreds of dollars in tips, have like an amazing dinner. That's just great. like a really small crowd, but like everyone's loving it where it's like a lot of bands wouldn't think to be like, oh, let's hit up this place nobody's ever heard of on tour. So what is it? Uh, does it... So being in a band like that and then also being in White Flash, even though you guys don't play a ton, that's more of like a uh, a band's band. You know what, you know what I mean? I'm, not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm trying to come up with the right way of describing well, it, but more of like a... White Flash, is, that's the passion project. Yeah, there you go. And so does it feel different? Do you get more nervous playing in White Flash or does it feel more casual playing in the other band? I I, ne- I never get nervous in the other band. It's like my heart rate probably does not change from like not playing to playing. It's just like yeah, almost automatic. White Flash. There's definitely a lot more at stake. I think yeah. It's like this is this thing I really care about. And I'm putting it out there, and like people may or may not accept it. Yeah, I can see it's that. also different too because like ninety five percent of all my gigs ever, if not more, it's like I'm the bass player, the side man. Right. So, like, me being in the front of a band is, like, a very new thing for me in the okay. grand scheme of things. Yeah. So, there's still a lot of excitement around that. So, with White Flash, was Taylor uh, a singer? Yeah. So, uh, it was, I mean, literally 50-50 on the songwriting and everything. Um, but he actually, on the recordings, he's, he's singing lead on seven of them. I was singing lead on three of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got a great voice. So... That's where I was leading with that was now that he's not in the band, do you uh does the other guitar player take yeah, his singer? Yeah, so, so Paco, singing? he's also a great singer, and then I'm trying to get the other guitarist, Eric, yeah. to get more into it too. Um He was the one that played keys as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Eric, he's awesome. He's he's yeah, a bit he's a really older. Cool guy. But he's he's been doing the band thing for a really long time. He's got like a family and like a cool job and stuff now, but in his twenties he was like in DC working at a, like as a amp repair guy and like touring with his indie band for like five or six years. Okay. So like he's an awesome dude, amazing singer. So looking to get him singing on some more stuff. Yeah. He was, he was really cool. You guys are all cool. It was fun. It was fun playing with you guys. And then we got little Jack on the drums, little Jack. <laughs> uh, he might be 20 now. He was 19 when I met him. Just like the best spirit, like awesome yeah. attitude. Like reminds me of Noah, my drummer, go getter. Just like awesome dude. Yeah, Noah just turned and he's the drummer. Yeah, mm-hmm. Noah just turned twenty. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm twenty eight. I just like, dude. I, I it's it's cool though. Like we yeah. There's no to me, I, I can't speak for him because mm-hmm. he's the younger one. I don't feel any sort of like I'm the old one, he's the young one sort of no, thing. No, it's just kinda like camaraderie. Yeah. There's definitely times when like Noah will say something and not really in the band, like when it comes to the music, we're definitely just like equals you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i i respect him he respects me but there's definitely times when he talks about just like his life and things like that and i just i can hear the 20 year old in him you know but yeah. it, it's not something where i feel like uh any condescension towards him yeah it's more it's like kind of interesting it's kind of refreshing yeah, it's like i remember being in that headspace mm-hmm. you know and i it, he kind of like 
he has like this energy that kind of keeps me feeling youthful. Not that I'm that old, yeah, you know, but like it's it's cool being in a band with someone that that's much that's that much younger because he's like mm-hmm. he's like all for whatever like ideas I have. I'm like, oh, you want to play the show? He's like, yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. you want to try to plan a tour? He's like, yeah. You know, I'm like, this is it's great. It's kind of cool to have that. And I got super lucky, like, because Jack and Eric, I literally found off Craigslist after I moved here. So like I'd like super like that. They're such good dudes. But Paco is actually he played guitar on the actual album. Oh, okay. So that's cool. Although he was more of like a hired gun when we did the recording, but now he's become a, a band member. Um and kind of the fun fact is his first album and the White Flash album, same exact group of musicians playing, but the songs could not sound any more different. Uh yeah. He comes from like like they might be giants, Weird Al, Frank Zappa, like a world of huh. like overcomplicated like absurdity. Yeah. And it's all fun and like awesome and super out there. And then our stuff is all just like angsty, like Yeah. Yeah. Super like let's be sad. Yeah. No, what your your album was right up my alley. <laughs> like we talked about a lot of different influences. Yeah. Like I think Manchester Orchestra we probably talked about. Yeah, I I, I, I don't listen too much to them but i know, I know you, okay. you said you're a big fan radiohead obviously uh, radiohead a huge one tall lines deer hunter mm-hmm. yeah those a huge death cab influence death cab's great yeah i think as tall as lions that self-titled album though like when you mentioned that as one of your influences that that was the one that like struck that was me. the single most influential thing on the album for sure yeah and be, i haven't really heard um, many people outside of like a few of my friends mm-hmm. that even know who they are. I just randomly fell into them like six years ago and I was just completely blown away by them. Yeah. Their melody writing is just beautiful and then just their textures yeah, are just and their attention to detail is incredible. Especially on that self-titled every song is just mm-hmm. like you can tell like that's the album where like they were going through some shit mm-hmm. like the, their, their the, the first singer. album i don't even like their first album honestly no, like lafcadio or whatever it's i don't i can't even listen to it. it's really badly recorded it's really yeah. cheesy yeah so to go from that test tall's lions it's like yeah i think insane. honestly i read their wiki and like i think at the time the singer dan uh he was like he'd be like holed up in a hotel room for long periods mm-hmm. of time and like was definitely like going through some depression and drugs and things like that. And I think that comes across. It's like one of those things. He was not a happy dude. Those are some sad songs. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, it's one of those albums where like when I'm feeling sad, I don't look to happy music to try to pull me out of it. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm feeling bad, I will fully dive into it Mm -hmm. and like embrace it. I feel like I get Mm -hmm. through it faster that way. Yeah, sometimes you have to immerse yourself and kind of let you feel that yeah, those yeah. deeper feelings kind of like get out of your system. Yeah, it's like... It's I, really refreshing in that way. And then also sometimes like just really well done sad music just makes me happy. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is so sad. I love it. Like, yeah. it's perfect. I mean, that's why I was such a uh, such a huge brand new fan. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a, you know, it's a shame like with everything coming out about Jesse yeah. Lacey and everything. But like that band was so... The, by by far and away the band that i've visceral and like uncomfortable and honest i haven't liked i still haven't liked a band as much as i liked brand news music which Mm -hmm. in it in in a really weird way it's interesting that like 
now that you know everything about Jesse Lacey, like what he, what type of person he was at the mm-hmm. time. And I say was because I believe that like, you know, I don't think he's the same person anymore, but like, it's interesting to think that like, while all that stuff was going on, it was around like, I'm thinking like the Deja and Tondu. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he started to like, if you listen to like the devil and God, I feel mm-hmm. like that there's just like a, a level of self-loathing in that album that makes perfect sense when you think about what he was actually doing. And then like maybe starting to realize that, Oh, wow, I'm a shitty person. Maybe he's not mm-hmm. doing those things anymore, but he's just dealing with those demons of like trying to reconcile with, like, wow, what have I done sort of thing. And then like that mm-hmm. comes across so powerfully and that so it it makes it a really devil and god especially makes it an album you can it's listen such to such a guilty album yeah exactly and it's like this whole time you're wondering why does this guy feel this way and when it comes out and you find out who he actually mm-hmm. was it's kind of it's kind of tragic in a way yeah yeah it's really strange but it's still vague enough to where like you can listen to it and apply it to your own life yeah you know in a way that you know you, you're not celebrating what he was doing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but it definitely speaks to the darker sides yeah, of people. Yeah. And then Daisy was like a crazy, like the, the darkest they got, I feel like. And then, yeah, it's just, I just, I'm sad that I can't <laughs> see them ever again. Yeah, because I'll, I never got the chance to see them. Oh, best best live show I've seen, by, like hands down. I mean, Radiohead was another one that was amazing. <sighs> Radiohead. Have you seen them live? Last summer, Little Caesars, one of the best shows of oh, my yeah. life. Yeah, I was there. It was it was it was amazing, absolutely amazing. There were some tears. Yeah, I could, beautiful. <laughs> I, I could see that. Did you uh, did you have floor or were you in the? I was in the season? balcony. It was funny. I went with a big group of friends, all the show together, but we all bought tickets separately. So as soon as we got there, we just split up and like just watched the shows by ourselves in silence. I'm like, that's yeah. like such a Radiohead fan. It's totally thing to fine. Do. Like, yeah, like I don't want to sit and talk through the show. I just right. want to like be quiet and like be in my thoughts. Yeah, I I didn't go with anybody. Like I I bought tickets on StubHub like the day before the show because mm-hmm. I was just waiting for the prices to go down, and I ended up getting really good seats. Like I was in the mezzanine, but like first row of the mezzanine, like to the side of the stage. So like I was just looking over the rail. I didn't have anybody in mm-hmm. front of me. It was great, man. It's awesome. So much fun. Yeah, but um, well, I think I want to be able to get the music go around before they close and everything. So. We can wrap it up. I'll let, I'll host up the mic so you can do a song. Cool. Yeah, that sounds um, good. I gotta head back that way, kind of sooner, anyway. So for okay, sure. you're gonna do a white flash song. Yeah. All right. Cool. Anything you wanna plug, or do you wanna like let people know like where to find the music and stuff? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you can find the album "Younger Days and Simpler Times" on Spotify under White Flash, on Bandcamp, and Facebook. All that good stuff, SoundCloud. I highly recommend it. I do. Yeah, it's it's so good. I when I first heard it, I listened to it over and over and over. It was one of those albums. That was like, oh, this is so cool that I know these people. It was one of those <laughs> things. Man, honestly, that just makes me so happy to hear. It's it's one of those things like you just kind of like put it out there, and it's like this long labor of love. So it's like, yeah, like just knowing that there's like at least one dude out there that likes it and listens to it. Like, oh yeah, that makes it all worth it. Yeah, it's, it's 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 strange. Like the more and more I meet bands, it's like the ones I really like. It's so weird to me that like, oh, I'm a fan because when you're a fan of a band, like you put them on this pedestal, and yeah, then and we're all guilty of that. But yeah. everyone's just a person at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's like when you know someone before you know their music. I feel like mm-hmm. that's good because mm-hmm. I knew you before I knew your music, so I was like, oh, 
regular guy. Yeah, it's just <laughs> awesome music. Okay, that works. <laughs> but all right, dude, I'll hit pause and then we'll set you up. Sweet. All right, what's up? I'm Tom from White Flash. It's a song called All the Same.